Hello and welcome to Buy Positive. These are your hosts, Mari and Andy. And today we'll be talking to Brianna Vanskis, who shared some of her experiences of being a queer person at the Buy Representation panel at Plexicon this year. And we're really excited to have her on our podcast to talk a little bit more about her relationship with labels, how it is to be a queer actor in the industry today, and various other things. Good evening and good morning for us. <laughs> I know. Yes, very, very early morning for you. <laughs> it's okay. So we just kind of wanted to have a brief interview, especially after what you said during the uh, the bio-representation panel yeah. at Klaxicon about like, yeah. the no labels thing because, you know, it's a very different approach to what we do and it'd be really cool to have someone, you know, talk about not using labels and still be proud of their identity because that's not something that we encounter a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also just to talk because we've uh, done our research and come across some some trouble you've run in with not being queer enough for a TV role. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> that would be something that we wanted to address as well, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but first, if you could maybe introduce yourself to our listeners. I mean, I'm sure they know who you are, but... <laughs> Yeah, um, so my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, I'm uh, I'm Brianna Venskis. I am an actress out here in Los Angeles, California. And uh, I mean, I I I think kind of as we were saying during the panel that we met, uh, I I think the most uh, realistic term to identify as would be bisexual, but I but I prefer not to put a, a label on it. <laughs> but but yes, yeah, so I'm I'm out here. Acting and uh, making some noise. <laughs> so <laughs> we we listened to a little bit of your um, coming out pod with uh, with Nicole Payson that you did at Clubsicon as oh, well. Oh, cool! You mentioned something about your upbringing that you yes. were raised in a pretty accepting family, but there were some issues with uh, religion. Um, yeah, it's it was interesting. I mean, I. There is a, I, I think it's a generational thing, honestly, because when I, when I look at my grandmother and uh, on both sides, I, I think if I were to ever try to explain to my grandparents, my perception of who I am and how I function in the world, I think she would have a really hard time grasping it or, or even understanding what I was saying, mm-hmm. because I think for her that that sort of um, the upbringing she had in the Catholic church, she's Puerto Rican. So she's very, she's very religious, very proper. I think her, um, her upbringing and understanding of the world is, is so specific that I think the words that I would use to describe who I am wouldn't even make sense to her. And I think that it, it speaks volumes to kind of the way religion influences how we perceive any sort of LGBTQ person which is, I, I genuinely think it is a, a misunderstanding and a fear of what is unknown and what is not personally experienced by them. So it's seen as a threat almost. Um, I mean, I, I know that they, they do, you know, growing up being in a Catholic middle school, uh, I, I definitely, in having, you know, Catholic grandparents, I, I definitely experienced, you know, scriptures and, 
and reading things and being like, oh my God, is, is this, is this how it's, am I going to hell? Am I, you know, just because I, I want to lay with a person like, is that, what the fuck is that? Like, how does this, how does that, uh, is it actually going to have some sort of impact on my life? And I think it's, it's such a, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's such a fear driven culture and it's such a fear driven thing because I do think religion can be so beautiful but I think when you get into these very institutionalized religions you you come across so much fear and so much sort of regret and so much insecurity that it that it feeds into the misunderstanding of of what a person can be and can become and how they can you know express themselves in their own way Mm -hmm. for yourself how did you um how did you learn to integrate that into who you are did you I mean, yeah, it's, it took time. I mean, like I was saying in the, the podcast, it's kind of, I, I not only was in this sort of religious environment, but I was also in it during a very tumultuous time for any young person, which is being a teenager. Mm -hmm. So not only are you up against this, you know, hormone battle and, and coming into the world and learning, you know, your place and and your body's changing and you don't really know your, it's, there's so many confusing things, but then you add in this whole layer of religion on top of it. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think I tried to integrate it the best I could by initially seeking out people that I thought could sort of relate to it. And, and it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily very out and open and, and, you know, apparent in a, in a, like a visible or loud way. I think I sought out traits in people that I enjoyed, like senses Mm -hmm. of humor or, or the way they carried themselves or the way that they viewed certain aspects or, you know, maybe they were good at a certain thing that I particularly admired. Um, and I think the more I just sort of celebrated that aspect of a person and sort of encouraged that connection between the two of us, I think that's kind of how I, surrounded myself with people that could then become my friends because I had found a foundation between the two of us that wasn't just about labels and wasn't just about you do this and I do that, or I like this and you like that. It was about, I respect you as the person that you are and for the talent that you hold and for, you know, the, the person that you are in this world. And I hope that you can return me the same favor. And some people did and some people didn't. Uh, but but I think when you when you approach it from a from a standpoint of finding the commonality between everyone, I think there's so much more progress to be made. And that's kind of as a kid, I think my mom instilled that in me. Um, and, you know, thank goodness, like I said, I had the, the best parents growing up in this situation. Uh, she really reinforced the idea that you have to reinvigorate the good in people and not the bad. And and the only way you're ever going to make any sort of progress is by celebrating that good and, and not giving into things that, that aren't beneficial to to growth. Mm-hmm. It's super positive. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> but it, it's true that um, most people would like do that integration or even find that sense of commonality through I mean, using labels, <laughs> using the words to just to make sense yeah. of who they are. So how how did you, um, what, what was your journey to manage to do that without necessarily using those labels, those words that most of the time help to um, make sense of what's happening? 
Yeah, I mean, I think just in my own world, and again, I, I think we need to look at sort of everyone in their own, they're in their own little sphere of, of what works. Um, and, and this has worked for me, and I hope that it resonates with people because it, 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 the people I've talked to, it has resonated with. And I think that it is, it's definitely catching on. Um, you know, I think I use labels in a sense of things that are not, that don't define the spiritual and personal aspects of a person. I like to utilize labels in the sense of skills and values. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think there's a difference. I think that there's a way to label people. And I think there's a way to label the characteristics that people hold. Um, and I, I'm all for you know, saying that this person is empathetic, a very empathetic person, or this person is, you know, a very funny person or a very invigorating person or a lively person. I think that those kinds of labels are beneficial. So, I mean, maybe to clarify, I would say that labels do work, yes, but I think we need to redefine how we utilize labels because I think the way we've, the way we've used them to segregate our community has done has done wonders, I think, for people who are not in our community, but I think within our community <laughs> itself, it's created more division than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So since we're on the topic, how how have labels been personally an obstacle to to you and your career path? Oh my goodness. So it's it's it's, <laughs> it's crazy. Honestly, like I will say I, I've definitely it's very strange because I, I, I've gone out for a lot of roles that have not necessarily been defined by how I look, but I've also partaken in a lot of roles that, that are defined by how I look and how I present myself. And, and I think that that plays into certain stereotypes that the industry has of, of what, you know, a tougher woman or like a, a LGBT woman looks like, um, And I think that it's just been, it's been weird. I mean, you know, recently the article that I, that I put out about not being, you know, quote unquote gay enough for a, for a role. It's just, it fascinates me that we are still hung up on this look of what it means. And, you know, we've, we've had shows for years now for, you know, 20 years plus of shows showing LGBT people and it's they've they've for the most part looked like a little bit of everything, and so it just it uh, it amazes me that in the future that we're in now, which is 2019, which if you had asked me even in 2000 what 2019 would look like, I would have no idea what to tell you. Um, but you know, even now, I feel like we're almost in the progress we've made. We're almost kind of reverting to this this structure of of persona for lgbtq people that that we almost didn't do before but we're doing more now because we feel like we have to really push it out there and really make a statement Mm -hmm. um and i and i feel like i understand it i I do because it's we're at such a precipice not only with women's rights but also with you know lgbtq rights and and every everything under the sun really is kind of coming to to light at this moment so I understand how there's a need to sort of cling to this idea of of purpose and this idea of identity to be able to present your idea. 
but I think that it does a lot of harm when it comes to to TV to try and or or film or really any sort of you know art form to try and categorize it or or give it some sort of shape or face or or physical attribute because that that to me degrades the purpose of of the entire fight um, and so and so when I when I read you know casting calls and, and I go in for them and I think oh I got that in the bag or that's that's like no big deal because I'm just a person and if I'm if you're a moderately good actor that sh- you should at least you know get a call back or something <laughs> like that's you're you're a shoo-in and then when I realized that it goes to something that was a little bit more stereotypical of of the community mm-hmm. that's that's what really gets me down and I think that sort of perception is is what is trying to be fought at the moment. And I think there's some shows that are out there doing it. And I think we talked about it kind of in the by panel a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, yeah. There's some shows out there who mm-hmm. are trying to kind of pave the way for being more uh, inclusive of everyone, which means it doesn't matter what the fuck you look like. You just look like how you look. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's, you know, it's, you still come up against it because we are still working for corporations and we are still working for money people and, and they have to fulfill a specific you know, idea of what a company looks like and, and the employees of the company. And no matter what anyone says, if you are on a TV channel that is a major channel, you are an employee of a company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of where the infrastructure has to take that shift, where we kind of take the idea of representing a company out of it and, and start bringing it back to the actual art of a story. Mm-hmm. And who knows how long that'll take, but we're, we're making some progress. <laughs> And do you think those stereotypes that you talked about, I mean, do you think they come from within the community or from the um, writers who perhaps are a little bit out of touch with the characters they want to portray, let's put it that way, or does it come from the money? Where um, where do those stereotypes begin? You know, I think it kind of comes from everything. I think when you look at the the movements of the the late 70s into the 80s into the 90s, there was, it was of the times, and I think of, of, of the times of really any movement from the early 1900s up until then, where acts of revolution had to be very visible and very mm. contrary to the popular opinion. And mm. so I think that that fed into the, the stigma of, of what LGBTQ looked like. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that was on purpose, but I think that it has kind of been this this image that's been fed to us, not only from within the community, but from the outside community that is also said, well, this is what you look like. And if you're a lesbian, then you look like a dude and you have short hair and you, you carry yourself like a man. And I'm like, well, no, not always. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think it's, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's in terms of the company side of it, I think it is, it's profitable on both ends. So I don't necessarily know if that's, if that's the way to go. I think it's profitable to have a stereotype and I think it's profitable to counter the stereotype and put a very, you know, quote unquote, straight looking woman in a role of a, you know, lesbian woman and, and have that sort of be this groundbreaking, you know, role. You see it a lot in, in CW shows where you Mm -hmm. have these very beautiful straight actresses playing gay characters on TV and it's sort of amazing for both the viewers and, and the the community alike because you start to see like, oh, any any woman, I guess, could 
could be interested in another woman. It's not, it's not just people who, you know, have short hair and, you know, walk around and like men's clothing. And, but I, I just don't know. I think it's, I think it's so hard to pinpoint like an exact moment or an exact sort of sort of spark of where that, that came from. But I think, I think there's something very inherent about revolution in general and, and, and sort of the, being the opposite of, of a movement and, and how it physically manifests and how you sort of go to an extreme level. And that's not to say that it's, that that's why, you know, anyone in the LGBT community looks the way they do, but I think that it, that sort of understanding and and thinking of, well, I need to stand up for my people and I need to make a statement. I think that Mm -hmm. influenced our population very heavily. And so I think, that a lot of the writers who are around right now are, are doing a better job absolutely of writing characters who are more middle of the road sort of, you know, everyday people. But I think that there is still a very strong pull because it is a very recent history to pull back to the late seventies and the eighties and the nineties and sort of pull out of this idea of revolutionary, you know, these, these people who just look so harshly different to the, the more widely accepted population. Um, and I think when you look at it too, it is, it is very much so a demographic, uh, in terms of a map, like you, you tend to see that sort of, that sort of population stimulate a little bit more from, from larger cities like New York or from San Francisco or Chicago or LA or, you know, Miami, like you, you see more of a, a cultural acceptance and cultural sort of uproar visually from, from those bigger cities. But, yeah, I just, it, it, it's also, I mean, just like life is, it's also arbitrary to, to the moment. Um, but I, I, I do think that we continue to perpetuate the stereotype, but I also think that we are actively working to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that we, you know, it just has to be more of a consistent beat on the drum. It's, I think you just kind of have to keep, keep submitting it and keep talking about it and keep changing it and, and keep your eyes open and keep adapting to the world around you because I guarantee you, you open your eyes and you look at something a different way or with a different, you know, view one day, you'll see a whole other side to this community that you've never seen before. Mm. And I think that that's kind of the most exciting thing about it is that we get to work, we get to walk away from what we've expected from the community and sort of shift our perspective and see a whole other arena. Mm. Yeah. I'd say that it's it's important to have like actually a diversity in in the representation and also have some of those stereotypes sometimes um, yeah. because there be all the whole conversation about like butch uh, representation that it's might not always be that visible um, in at least in mainstream media um, completely yeah and because also I think it's stereotypes like labels are useful when um, people need to figure things out. And don't well, have yeah, like, it, a sense of safety. It's an education tool. Say. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I was I was listening to what you were saying about about your mom, and I think it's it's amazing to have that much of a of a confidence given as a as a kid, in growing up in acceptance, which is yeah. very freeing and can really help you to make sense of everything that's happening in in nuance and and go beyond beyond those stereotypes and everything. But in the end, for some people, it's really needed to 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 go back to some very simple categories. Yeah. Yeah. Because, completely. because they are really insecure uh, for good reasons because there are no one who ever helped yeah. them. Uh, 
Yeah. And I, I constantly have to remind myself of that. Um, and how, how I was handed a very good hand of cards um, of, of, of how I was brought up. Uh, because it is it, like you're saying, it, it really does dictate very differently the, the way you understand yourself and your self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a very, it's, it's, it's great that we can be in a world and in, in, in a time now, you know, I was born in the late eighties. So it's, it's, it was sort of that revolutionary time. Um, I, I think that you do now have this population of people who some people had very accepting parents, some people did not. And I think that the points of views that we both bring to the table provide a very, a very sort of, uh, engaging and very supportive field to, to open up conversations like this and say, well, from, you know, growing up in a very supported scenario, I see this, 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 and this about the world, but you coming from this particular part of the world makes me understand that that wasn't always the way that it was. And that's not how you felt. And that these certain things that I might not understand mean something to you, like stereotypes or like, you know, labels or, or, or certain communities that you identify with or, or, you know, a certain uh, world that you find yourself in. And I think that's the most interesting part. And I think the more, honestly, just like this, like this conversation, the more people talk about it, the more this sort of mystical fog disappears around it. And it just becomes a conversation about where people come from and and we can all learn from each other. And, And I can learn how to be better informed about their point of view and they can hopefully find some way to understand that there is a world where people do support who you are and, and can, you can find that chosen family who will support you no matter what. And, and I think that's, that's the exciting part about it is, is for me to now realize like I should reach out to people who may not have had that self-confidence or that support or that, that sort of foundation that they needed. Mm -hmm. And, and I hope likewise people who, who hear my story and who hear the way that I was brought up can reach out to me and say, Hey, I didn't have any of this. Like, how, how do I boost this or how do I figure out this part of me? And, and it's, I think it's just all about conversation. It's all about talking and, and really trying to understand each other. And, and, you know, to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, it's all about that commonality and finding the things that tie us together versus separate us. Yeah. And, and it's very, very important example because we, I mean, we have, um, we encounter that every day, you know, in our work of people who, um, whose identity as queer is just rooted in, in suffering, in pain, hurt. Yeah. And, and who identify with that and, and whose link they have with the community is about sharing um, the hurt and, and just being supportive to each other, which is, which is great. But at one point when we tell them, but you know, you can be queer and happy. Um, you don't have to be, to be suffering. You don't have to be a victim. You, you, can, you can overcome all of that. You can have a different type of life and a different type of perception of yourself. It's something that's mm-hmm. sometimes very, very hard to, to hear and understand. But having example yeah. of, of people who live otherwise is, is, uh, is what they need. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's crazy, too, because it, it, even in my position with the upbringing that I had, it still takes constant work. It's still, it's still every single day. Like I, I have to wake up and kind of go through my, my sort of mantra for myself of, of, you know, how I believe in myself and what I stand for. And you, you constantly have to check in with yourself and and understand 
that you are, you are solely responsible for your own happiness and, and that no matter where you come from, be it my upbringing or anyone else's upbringing, you hold every single card in your hands. And I think it's, it's kind of, it, it it's unfortunate to say because it's sort of like you never want to hear that you still have to work at, <laughs> at being happy. Like that's the last thing you want to hear. Like you just want to hear that one day you'll be happy and it'll all be okay. Um, but but you know it's even for someone in my position who you know I, I I live in a great city. I live in a very accepting city. I have wonderful parents. I have wonderful relationships and great friends. But even for me, it's still work, mm. and I still have to check in every single day and look in the mirror and say, "This is who you are. This is what you believe." this is what you want to project on the world and this is what you want to receive. And I think that it, it's, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from that, that foundation and that work is what makes you the confident person in yourself and, and gives you that power to sort of supersede these, these identities and, and these preconceived notions of who you can be and, and really excel in a way that, that is not, it's not even worthy of labels because it's, it's so far beyond it. It's, it's a different level of understanding of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a lot of parts of the world, you know, I, I come from Ukraine, so I don't yeah. have that many queer people around being proud and even reaching that level of understanding of themselves without using labels. A lot, yeah, of, a lot of people here still use those stereotypes quite extensively and quite hurtfully to themselves. So for, for a lot of them, not just here, but everywhere across the world, um, media is the one way that they can find people who, yeah, look like them, people who act like them. And do you feel like um, media is being realistic about queer stories? Because, you know, you talked about happiness, you talked about, um, we touched on suffering. Mm -hmm. And the thing about media in the form that it is now, it's, it's quite linear. There's always an end to the story. And usually mm -hmm. the story ends in either they walk in, off into the sunset or more commonly still, unfortunately, they die. Yeah, unless it's a French <laughs> yeah. movie in which there's no ending. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there's like always, there's a, I feel like there's always going to be people who are going to be dissatisfied with, a, with especially with a queer storyline, because yeah. it doesn't resonate fully with them. There's always going to be a criticism. So like, how can you as an actor and maybe... In your experience, how can writers, how can creators ensure that a story is being portrayed in the most authentic way possible? You know, I mean, it's that's such a my my instinctual my my gut reaction is to say, just write a story like you would write any other story. Mm -hmm. But I know that it's not that easy because <laughs> it's it's a totally different community that has had a whole other set of of, of of rules and, and implications set upon it. Um, so I, I would have to say it's for writers and creators. I, I always loved when I was kind of coming up in, in the acting world and sort of writing a bunch, like I loved fan fiction and tumblers and these fan sites that let you take your imagination and run wild. Um, and I think that there is something so, wonderful about imagination because I think the more you use your imagination the more it becomes reality and I think the more that you reinforce that habit in yourself where you let your mind become imaginative and you let your mind expand off of what's been presented to you that plants seeds in your actual life and I think that those seeds will grow if you keep watering them 
um, in terms of TV shows, in terms of writers, in terms of creators who are already making content on TV, it's, it's funny to me that you just can't have, you know, a, a lesbian couple or, you know, a person who is trans and you may, may be with a cis person or, or two gay men or two, but it's, it it baffles me that we can't just have them just be normal people with kids. I mean, I think the most, the most somewhat mainstream version of that we've gotten is on modern family with, with that couple with Cam and, and I forget the other guy's name Mm -hmm. that Jesse Taylor Ferguson plays where (laughs) they're, they're just them. And their family is kind of some, you know, they have an all American dad who doesn't quite get it, but he's like, whatever, I got a gay son. Like, like that, that's the show that I've seen that has come the closest to just letting them have day-to-day existence problems, which is like, oh, he didn't set the coffee or, oh, they left the gate open on the front yard. Like it's, it's, it's that sort of scenario where you start to take away from, from the struggle and the strife and, and the, the pain that has been evolved around our community. And you start to really highlight the, the beauty of it. And, it's it's going to take sort of a leap of faith, I think, within our community and within the people who are writing our stories, because I think that so much of our history has been obviously rooted in pain and suffering. But I think, you know, I would love to see a story about, you know, a couple in the Ukraine who has somehow made it work and are somehow happy. Mm-hmm. And I think even if it is even if it is fiction at this moment, it can be a fictitious story. But that fictitious story can can inspire so much hope and so much imagination and, and, and prospect for the future for people who, though it may not be a real couple, it, it can show people that they can still make it happen and, and you know, supersede above it and, and, you know, get past it. And, you know, I, I, I'm very lucky, obviously, to also live in a country where I've never had any sort of governmental restrictions on on how we are perceived in public, at least in my lifetime, obviously, in the history there has been. But, you know, in, in this modern day and age, I, I'm very lucky to be in a country that doesn't impose any sort of restriction on that. But I can understand how that, you know, if you're getting attacked from all angles, how do you tell stories that are positive? But I think that's where imagination, like I was saying, comes into play. And you really have to feed that and really have to nurture that sort of vibrancy in yourself in order to create a, a new reality. Yeah. And with, you know, since you mentioned Modern Family, I was also thinking that shows like that, even, you know, the the shows you ran like Supergirl, mm-hmm. uh, they're watched by a lot of teenagers, maybe queer teenagers, mm-hmm. or teenagers who are still trying to figure themselves out. And... Um, there has been there have been a lot of arguments, um, even in, in the U.S., um, that queer characters and LGBTQ material is not kid friendly. That mm. it's the eighteen plus kind of stuff that adults should only watch because it confuses kids and whatnot. What you know, as as, as an actor yourself, what would you say to something like that? I mean. You know, as myself, I'd say that's total bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, watching like, there are so many more things that are confusing than an LGBTQ (laughs) storyline. Like, I, I, like, how, how do bees pollinate flowers? I don't fucking know. That's confusing. <laughs> I don't think like that. Like that literally baffles me. Watching, watching planet Earth baffles me. <laughs> but watching, 
watching two people fall in love and be supportive of each other and nurture each other and, and go through the ebbs and flows of any relationship and, and jealousy and this sort of fear and watching human interaction between two people is not confusing. That's, that's human nature. And I think that's, we have to stop thinking that just because it's a woman and a woman or a man and a man or, you know, a trans woman and a cis, whatever it is, it's, we have to stop thinking that because of a, a visual of someone or an idea of someone that's going to negatively affect humanity. It's, when you get to the root of it, an emotion is an emotion no matter who it comes out of. It could it could come out of anyone, but the core of it is is universal. And I think the more we focus on that and the more that that becomes the root of our stories and the through line of our stories and kind of what threads everything together, then that's when you really start to connect. And, and I think we've seen it kind of happen with racial profiling mm-hmm. sort of so much in terms of stories. Like you, you've we've seen more... African-Americans, you've seen more Asian storylines, Japanese and, and Korean and Hispanic and Central American. We've seen all of these storylines sort of start to integrate themselves into modern storytelling. And mm. it's been through the humanity aspect of their existence. It hasn't been through the color of their skin. It's been through pain or the suffering or, or the love or the family or the celebration. It's it's those human factors that that pull us all together. And I think that the, again, the more I, I hate to keep coming back to this, but actually I don't hate it. I, I love it. The more we celebrate, the more we celebrate the things that we have in common as humans and as animals on this planet, the the easier it's going to be to understand each mm. other. Yeah. And I'm mean, finishing the storyline actually bring clarity to some of those kids who are struggling to understand who they are. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, I, I think too, it's, this is not just a challenge for the young generation. I think it is a time more than ever to call on the older generation, the the 40-year-olds and the 50-year-olds and the 60-year-olds who are the parents or grandparents of, of this younger population to stand up for the future and, and to say as adults that we understand and we're starting to accept and recognize that this is a way of, of life. And I, I think we've put so much pressure on top of not only figuring out who you are and what you want to do in your life and, and where you're going to go on these young people, we've also now told them you also have to fight for every single thing that you stand for. And it has to, it has to count. Everything you say has to count. It has to mean something. And I think that there's, there's so much ease that comes kind of coming into later in life and having sort of a foundation in who you are and what you believe in. And I think it's, it's so much the responsibility of this older population to also now stand up because they are more comfortable in who they are and where they are in their lives to stand up and say, you know what, I also support this. And I also see the value in this person's life and in this projection of the future. And I think the more we have that representation from the older generation, the the easier it's going to be on this on this younger population to to accept themselves for who they are. And and it's not just a younger population actually because I I was thinking that within the the I mean like using the bi plus label and the, yeah. I mean the non-monosexual community you have a lot of yeah. people who actually come out pretty late and yeah, who do it absolutely. now I mean research explains why but yeah who do it now and and media there play like a, a huge part because it is 
yeah, this idea of, oh, this part of me that I haven't explored because, or I didn't even want to acknowledge until now because it didn't make sense because I didn't know I could. Uh, yeah. And they actually come out now. And doesn't mean that they have to turn their life over and <laughs> leave their mm -hmm. spouse and everything, but that and having the courage to come out. Yeah. yeah. And, and just acknowledge that and, and put it out there. It's also so powerful. Um, yeah, it is. It, it, there's something, and I mean, it's, I still look up to, to my elders and my, my mom and my dad. And when they, when they take a stand for something they believe in, it really impacts me. So, so I, I mean, I, I always advocate for people in positions of power in terms of their family, in terms of, you know, being the head of a household or the head of a organization to, to really stand up and, and, make a proclamation of acceptance like that's it's so much more powerful than you could ever imagine and since we we actually talked mm -hmm. about this i think during the the uh, bioprepresentation panel um we talked a little bit about like policing in the community and also since you mentioned like the older generations of people there's you know, we live in the netherlands where mm -hmm. there is already a, a kind of a stable core of of especially lesbian women and gay men who have mm -hmm. their families who, you know, a marriage equality was passed in the year 2000. So for them, it's a norm of life that they are... Yeah, I mean, we have kids now who are who are 18 who've lived their whole life with married parents. Marriage same, equality, yeah. yeah. And also yeah. same gender parents, yeah. married same gender parents. And uh, That's crazy. That's crazy to me. The thing, is, <laughs> the thing is, like, there's a lot of people nowadays there that believe that, quote-unquote, the fight is over, you know. And um, a lot of older older representatives of the community don't understand those, you know, new fancy labels, as they call them. Um, and actually there's a movement of white gay men um, voting for right-wing parties in the Netherlands, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I I'm coming from North Carolina in the states, which is a relatively conservative state. Mm -hmm. I I have seen a a very interesting upswing in people who have voted very conservatively and are also identifying as LGBT. Yeah, which which in my mind, you know, I mean, I you know, it's to each their own, and obviously you have to take every policy and every movement into its own consideration, but. It really is fascinating. <laughs> that's such a yeah. I'm I'm amazed to hear that that's also happening over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just that also you know the the older people in the queer community, they do need to take a stand. They need to remember that yes, perhaps their fight is over and they need to rest a little bit, which I can appreciate. It's exhausting. Yeah, but, yeah. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also you know a matter of leaving the door open for for other people who perhaps haven't had the chance to to define themselves in this world. Yeah, and I think it's you know like like any any evolution of any sort of movement or or career path or anything on it like it's you can take any aspect of human existence and see how it's evolved over the last 1000 years. And I think our understanding that the human the human condition is not on this this scale of you know straight or gay it's it's there's a a clear 
gray area and a clear in between area and you can fluctuate from left to right or up to down it doesn't it just doesn't even matter and i think it's you don't i think this older population doesn't necessarily you don't need to fight as hard as you did for yourself but you just have to lend your support mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that may be as simple as just giving somebody a high five or honking your horn on the corner if they're holding up a sign like it's it's i think people underestimate the value of of minor positive reinforcement mm. um sure. and and just how how crucial it is for someone to even just be smiled at mm. and and how that validates their existence and and who they are because it's it really is all about that human connection and that human validation and you know i i i do completely because my my parents are both of that that generation in the 70s and 80s that fought very hard for for visibility and for understanding and you know had thousands of friends die of HIV and AIDS and and really really like hit the pavement and and saw so many terrible things happen and so I understand that they are exhausted <laughs> but it's it's also you know it's it doesn't stop it's always going to be a new fight it's always going to be something different there's always going to be an evolution and you can find peace in that and find your own sort of you know calling it a day within that spectrum but just that positivity and that reinforcement of of something as simple as you know a a like or a share or a, a honk of the horn or a smile or a pat on the back or just showing up and standing somewhere when somebody needs you like it it really makes a difference absolutely well thank you for talking to us really appreciate it and it was oh my really, goodness absolutely really interesting conversation um if you could maybe tell our listeners where they can find you and the way they can see you Yeah, um, I am online, mostly on Instagram, sometimes mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, on Instagram, I'm on uh, at House of uh, Venskis, which is uh, House, and then my last name, Venskis, um, <laughs> mostly because of Game of Thrones, and I know it's like, it's it's fine, it's okay, I'm a little bit of a geek, so it's all right. <laughs> um, and then uh, on Twitter, it's just the Venskis, but uh, most, most social media you can find me on, however, I love to respond to people, so please reach out um in in any way and uh i'm also going to be on the next season of agents of shield i'm not sure when it airs overseas but here in the states it airs on may 10th that's very exciting yeah but um yeah i love this and i love i love what you girls are doing and i think it's so awesome that this kind of conversation exists and and that it can it can be presented and and accepted and sort of celebrated and i think that's what it's all about so Yeah. Thank you very much for talking to us and have a great uh what is it? Night? Yeah, it's 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 almost bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. All right, talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>